This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And welcome to Temporary Admission, the podcast where we speak to some of the art industry's most influential people to find out who they are, what they're up to, and what's next. Today, we're going to be speaking with art influencer Benny Orr to reveal details on a pretty exciting project that he's been working on recently. Now, those of you who already follow Benny on Instagram, we've got 19,000 people that do, probably know a little bit about the project we're going to be chatting about today. But Benny, it's great to have you. And for those of our listeners that don't know kind of A, who you are or or kind of what you've been working on recently, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. It's almost like every month I kind of figure out a little bit more about exactly what I am doing. And the reason why I actually started the blog, which, you know, you're referring to right now, which is simply just my Instagram account, um, was because I was uninspired. And for a while... You know, I was living in Pennsylvania, and this is this goes back to um, when I was working as a production designer for live entertainment, and I was feeling very uninspired, right? I had all these wonderful opportunities to kind of work on these big projects. At that point, I was living in Amish, Pennsylvania, and I was kind of just feeling very uninspired. And so what I started doing was I, I started driving myself to the neighboring cities in Philadelphia and Baltimore and, and New York City. And I would just go and take myself out and, and to see art. And in some ways, what I started doing when I started doing that was I would post about the pieces that I found interesting, you know, the, the art that inspired me in a way to remember it, but also to kind of share uh, with you know my friends and family and whoever's following me at the time, uh, my discoveries. And um, after a while, it became a sort of routine sort of habit where when I ran out of things to post or talk about, I would you know once again go find more things. And of course, when I moved back to New York City a couple of years later, it kind of spiraled as obviously there's so much more to see. And over time, it kind of just developed. You know, Arnett wrote an article which really kind of pushed me to. Um, the um, bit of the front line in terms of art influencers. And um, and in the last kind of year, especially post-COVID, or I guess, you know, post the last two years, it's not quite over yet, is it? But uh, I, I think that's when I really began to think about what exactly is it that I'm doing with my account, right? Suddenly I've realized that I have a platform where I have a voice, um, and people are listening to me in terms of, you know, what to look at and where to go. Um, what, you know, am I interested in actually saying? And especially with the, the you know, anti-Asian hate movement, with all the politics that's been going on, I realized that there was much more to my account, to my identity on social media than just posting about, you know, what to go see. You know, I'm not here to be 
Time Out New York of the art world for on Instagram, correct? It's like I'm here and more interested to actually kind of communicate my my own personal perspective of art. And I think that's where I'm beginning to land and in terms of the understanding of what my platform is. And so I guess long story short, what I do on Instagram is I, I present a accessible way for people to engage with art through my own perspectives um, and through sort of personal stories and engaging um, photography and content. I mean, it sounds like you just completely found your niche because one minute, like you say, you're designing set designs for a pretty famous pop star that we can't mention right now. And the next minute, you've created this huge Instagram platform where you've got mega galleries like Gagosian and Hauser and Worth all following you to effectively keep up to date with art market trends and what's going on in the art world. And I think in the short space that you've been able to do that, that is pretty amazing in itself. But I think what would be really interesting to know a little bit more about is kind of whether you actually saw any overlap between your role as a creative director and that of building your career as effectively an art influencer. Absolutely. For the last 10 years or so, my primary sort of occupation was creative direction for live entertainment, right? Anything from spectacles to like Olympic ceremonies to Disney on ice. That's kind of the engagement that I was working on thinking about how do you tell stories through design, um, through entertainment, through that kind of cultural engine. And, you know, exactly as you said, I think as I began to juggle between these two sort of identities in some ways with the art influence and my sort of career in creative direction, the more I realized the sort of crossovers. And in some ways, that was when I began to really see um, a a mission in, in some ways, right? I was like, how can we bring art into pop culture, right? As cultural creators, you know, if we're going to be exposing these people to all this entertainment, then why can't they come away with learning, you know, something about contemporary art? And why does it have to be, you know, a museum docent, you know, like talking to you about art and this antiquated idea of art history or art education? I think there was so much more to the art world that I wanted to share. And the entertainment world was kind of the way that I was kind of engaging with that conversation. It literally feels like the more people we speak to on the podcast, the more we're kind of breaking this myth around people working in the art world actually having come from the art world or you know having an art background and correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure you didn't study art before becoming an art influencer and that seems to be the case between a lot of people that were interviewing on this podcast learning about kind of what they do but how have you found the transition I guess between you know working as a creative director within live entertainment which is obviously outside of the art world and moving into the art world and you know have you started collecting works kind of how have you found that process and what's that been like? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best way to get into it, right? I, I, it's, it's, it's like discovering the joy of it. And in some ways, I feel like I'm not so jaded because I never actually studied art. You know, I never went to my career. I still have that joy. <laughs> I, I love it. I enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes when I'm like loathing to post content on social, I'm still kind of like, you know, at the end of the day, my my job you know today is just to look at incredible art and um i really can't complain about it and and yeah it really has been a journey of discovery with the art world um personally i think as i 
have begun to do more studio visits in the last year um, and engage with conversations with artists that I really respect and find um, very relatable in terms of the work that they produce. It's becoming more and more evident that even the work that I did in creative direction for live entertainment is is really just my form of art. And, you know, especially now it's like, I, you know, I tell everyone, it's almost like I do it. I tell everyone so that I have to do it, right? You know, beyond the things that I want to do with entertainment, with, you know, my, my new company that I just started, a big part of it is also painting, you know, after seeing and looking at paintings and studio, you know, doing so many studio visits, there is this like yearning, I think, personal for me to really pick up a brush myself and to paint again. I mean, I've painted in the past. I know how to, I know how to use oil paints and I can draw from my background in architecture. And so, you know, the, the skill sets there, but I think for me, what I got out of this career or journey as an art influencer is this sort of return to art. And it's something that I'm kind of thinking about every day and in terms of how I want to engage it. I just, I feel like I just need more time, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think something you just touched on there around um, the term kind of art influence is quite interesting because often the media are portraying you as this influencer within the art world. And, you know, it'd be interesting, I think, to understand a little bit more around whether you actually see yourself as an art influencer, because, you know, what is an art influencer these days? And kind of what does that mean? I get that asked question a lot, actually. I would say that I prefer to be, you know, acknowledged as or referred to as a creative director and an artist, I think. It's funny because there used to be a point where everybody wanted to be a, an influencer and it was a cool thing. And now influencer, the title somehow has become um, sort of, I don't know, frowned upon almost. People kind of whisper, it's like, should I call you an influencer? They want to check, you know, if I'm going to be offended. And, and frankly, this, this title even itself was not something that I had chosen. You know, this again, this was like, it was an Artnet article that called me an influencer. And then suddenly that was what people knew me as, especially since I think, you know, in lifestyle influence, it's very clear what influencers do. But in the art world, what is an art influencer? You know, what does that even mean? Like, what, what am I influencing? Again, this goes back to me asking these questions to myself as to, you know, what is the purpose of, of this platform that I've created? And what is the thing? What are the things that I want to talk about and discuss? So I guess, long story short, I would say I, I'm, I'm first and foremost, an artist and creative director. Um, and the influencer title is kind of a way in which I communicate with the world um, that has chosen to come along for the ride. Okay, noted. We won't be referring to you as an art influencer anymore. But obviously you, you're new to the art world, as am I. And I think something that's quite interesting has been how my relationship with art has changed since becoming part of the art world, or at least working within it. And I think it'd be interesting to you know, get your views on that. Have you found that your approach to collecting works has changed? Has you know, your appreciation of artwork changed since you've become this art influencer? And what is the relationship maybe between the works that you're showing and then the works that you're collecting for yourself? Is, is there one? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, for a long time, I witnessed the art world from the outside in some ways. I was this kind of, I was nervous to go in the galleries, just like a majority of the population out there. And 
I really thought that buying art or collecting art was really just out of the question. You know, I was nervous even just to ask for the price, even you know if they would give that to me. But in the last probably around two years, I found myself with a little bit more, you know, frankly, you know, money to really begin to find art that I have fallen in love with and want to live with. And you know, particularly in studios, I find you know the more I get to know an artist and the more I understand their work, the more I can feel like I can relate to it. And for me, collecting has in some ways been very natural, you know, because, you know, my resources are limited. I'm not racing to to buy a million things. In fact, I just really wait for those moments, you know, when you when you stumble upon something that you can't stop looking at and then, you know, and you can't stop thinking about weeks after. And, and that's kind of my guideline is that like, you know, we, my partner and I, we really try to be very selective. And, um, and so we have, you know, built a little uh, humble collection in the last little bit. And surprisingly, actually, well, not surprisingly, now that you can think about it, is, is it's mostly composed of female artists, uh, POC artists, a lot of, you know, Asian diaspora art. And again, I think ultimately it, it has been kind of interesting to really step into the collector's shoes because suddenly I think I have a different approach and understanding and appreciation for the art as well. Yeah, I mean, I found the same because I think once you start to learn more about the art itself and the story behind it, or even, you know, you get the opportunity to meet the artist, I think you definitely start to resonate with it on a whole new level. And I think for me, that was the big transformation. It goes from being something that you can appreciate to something you can really connect with. But something I asked on one of our last podcasts and um, was received very well, I think, by our listeners was actually exploring, you know, maybe where would you recommend for some of our listeners to visit right now? Have you got any top recommendations for kind of top art destinations that you would say people should go and have a look at? Sure. There used to be like a pretty straightforward answers, I think. When people ask me where I should go or where they should go when they visit, I always ask them, you know, what do you want to see? You know, I'm infatuated with the Van Goghs at the Met and in love with the Matisses at the MoMA. It really comes down to what you're looking for, I think, is the answer often. Lately, particularly because I think I've just been so busy, I've been a lot more selective. I used to, you know, again, I was like going to see everything. Right. And that was the kind of the MO of, of seeing, 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 seeing lately, lately, it's a bit more difficult because I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, one gallery is killing it or or one museum has a particularly special program that I'm you know infatuated with. I think what I do look for now is actually just the work. I, I, I it doesn't matter what gallery it is, it could be a hole in the wall or, you know, a room in the back of a building, you know, in, in deep Brooklyn. It, it, I think it comes down to artists in the work. So I guess that's the answer is, I, unfortunately, I, I don't think, off, you know, off the top of my head, beyond like the obvious sort of hard hitters of like the Gagosians and the Pace. And, and then you have, I guess, the smaller galleries like 1969. Um, it's one that I've been watching pretty closely. It, it ranges. It definitely, it, there's no sort of like that's where I go, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess how people have enjoyed art has changed also during the pandemic. That's only totally natural. And I guess now everything's opening up again. You know, there's new hotspots that people can go and visit and that they'll also want to visit. You know, they will have seen things on Instagram that they haven't been able to get to because of travel restrictions or lockdowns or whatever reason. So it's nice that, you know, that things have changed, that people are appreciating art in a different way. 
But I think um, one thing that I think is particularly interesting and obviously we're definitely here to talk about today is the project that you've been working on. And I know that obviously I already know what the project is and a lot of people that follow your Instagram will also already know what project it is you've been working on recently because it just went live and uh, I think it's fair to say it's pretty cool. Um, But for those of our listeners that don't follow you on Instagram and maybe haven't had a chance to have a look prior to this episode going live, do you want to tell us a little bit more around what it is you've been working on recently? Absolutely. So uh, my baby that is uh, currently launched right now um, is a project that I started with in an artist named Cyril Lancelin. Uh, he's based in Lyon, France. And together we have created the world's first fully integrated virtual reality environment, right? Um, it's a place in the metaverse um, that you can go to and you can meet up to 32 people in there. There's full integration into spatial, uh, Spatial's VR platform. And the idea is actually what we're doing is we've built the space that you can access. Um, it's a social space and we're actually selling it as an NFT, right? And so it's kind of, um, you know, like pun intended in some ways, meta, because um, this is the first instance in which we are aware of of someone taking a virtual piece of real estate and um, that's fully integrated, right? Not just um, a 3D model um, and having it be sold as an NFT. It, it kind of um, uh, builds off of the idea that if we are indeed going to be spending more time in the metaverse, you know, our everyday lives will have spaces in which we will uh, host our friends and family and decorate with our own photographs or NFT art, then eventually what we're going to actually start to really look at is the quality of the spaces that we are using, right? Like, what is this virtual space? What will my virtual home look like? And so um, this is the first case in which we're like, okay, well, virtual spaces have value and uh, particularly well-designed spaces. And so um, we're really hoping that with this launch of this NFT, um, we can really begin to open um, not only a creator's economy of designers, architects, you know, um, creators out there that are interested in designing a 3D space and uh, allowing them to know that they can build a business out of doing this on their own, right? But also it's a, a much more decentralized idea of what the metaverse can be, right? Right now, this it's a lot of talk with, you know, Facebook and Microsoft and uh, Niantic. Like there's all these companies trying to get into the game because everybody wants to be the predominant metaverse that people use, right? Whoever kind of has the most users, right, will, will ultimately kind of lead the way in which the metaverse develops. And I think for us, you know, as two artists, developing this project, it was really more about putting our foot forward and saying, look, it doesn't have to be a big tech thing. It can be something that is grassroots and designed by artists for people. And most importantly, the quality of which our designs have um, a very real impact on the way that we will live our lives in the future. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been working on. It's now launched. Um, it's publicly uh, accessible on Spatial's VR platform, and you can get to it through um, the website, um, spatial.io, their app on the Apple Store or Android, and also on full VR, which is what I recommend people, uh, if you do have a headset, um, to uh, 
to use because you know there's nothing quite like a fully embodied three-dimensional virtual reality experience wow i mean that is a lot to take in all in one go but it certainly sounds fascinating and if the feedback you've had online already is anything to go by i mean people are pretty amazed by what you created and it sounds like it could be the start of a pretty exciting chapter potentially almost you know like the dot-com boom when websites were first invented and that kind of took off i wonder whether um virtual spaces within the metaverse is essentially the, the next version of that i don't know but for those of you that are listening to the podcast thinking oh my god what is a metaverse essentially if you didn't kind of gain it from what benny was saying it is a 3d space that exists within the internet that you can inhabit or you can go and experience and you can create your own kind of houses or your own virtual rooms where you can have this space to yourself either privately as kind of we'll touch on or or publicly so you can invest in spaces within um, metaverse neighborhoods for example and it is almost like a step on fundamentally um, you know leaps and bounds ahead of immersing yourself within a website with headset on you are therefore in the metaverse actually experiencing a whole new environment. But yeah, Benny, it sounds like it's almost like an iteration of the dot-com boom all over again. I don't know. Yeah, I always wonder about it, right? Like, I mean, I was pretty young when the dot-com boom happened, but like how, what was the energy like for those that were in, in place to really do something about it, right? Like how long did it take for us to go, whoa, the internet is here? Or, you know, how long did it take for us to go from, the internet to MySpace and then MySpace to, to you know, Facebook, right? That, that mass adoption of um, technology happens so quickly. And I think, you know, we are just on the cusp of the same thing with the metaverse. And, you know, as I've been onboarding people, right, the word I keep using is onboarding because it's like, you know, people have to learn and recognize the gift of the metaverse in some ways, right? All these um, things that it can offer you that is different than what our normal everyday experiences are in terms of the way we engage with the internet. And everyone that gets in there gets it, you know, and, and this is like a range of VR, you know, creator veterans to my, you know, 65 year old mother, you know, and they both get it very quickly. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny because people tend to label VR technology as this sort of, uh, you know, kids will get it, Gen X, you know, or, or nerds or video game gamers will get it. But no, I, I really think that, you know, our challenge as, um, you know, people that are really metaverse evangelists is really to uh, get people up online because the moment they're in there, they get it. They're like, wow. It's a zero to one moment. It's very obvious. And, and it's, I'm excited for people to recognize that, experience it firsthand. And I hope that the meeting place is uh, an enticing enough piece of exploration of real estate, of architecture and art, um, that it will uh, draw people into um, at least giving it a go. Because I think once you give it a go, you're, you're in it for good. I think that's such a good way of looking at it for us to potentially be on the brink of something that could be, you know, in 20 years time seen as the new dot com boom, especially within the art world. That's like super exciting in itself. And, you know, we all, like you say, experience the viewing rooms of 2020 where 
No one was allowed to go to a gallery. And I think everyone seemed to embrace those relatively well, from my understanding. I mean, there was definitely, by the end of it, fatigue, certainly from, you know, endless scrolling on PDFs and not really wanting to, you know, go to another virtual viewing room. But people were quick to adopt the new technologies that, you know, allowed them to still do their business. But something like this with the NFT that you've made, I mean, it's essentially allowing that to be taken to the whole next level, if you will. I mean, if a gallery wants to, they can literally be sending their clients into a virtual space within the metaverse to view artwork. I'm actually very excited to see how the art world responds to the metaverse as well, because actually the way that this whole project started was um, through Spatial. They reached out to me from an influencer's capacity and was like, oh, Benny, are you interested in you know curating an NFT art exhibition in one of our um, existing virtual reality gallery spaces? And I immediately responded. I was like, I'm interested in the technology and I'm interested in curating, but what I would like to do instead is actually think about it differently, right? In the physical world, you know, you have a gallery space and you kind of have to look at what you're exhibiting and, and figure out how to place it amongst the, the existing architecture, right? And in the metaverse, the role can actually be very much so reversed since you can build anything from scratch, right? So, you know, my thought was like, you know, think about, you know, if you have a sculpture, you know, in the middle of a room, instead of trying to be like, where do we place it within the room? You can begin to think about the space extrapolating from the sculpture itself. So suddenly you're actually responding to the art. And as you're experiencing the sculpture, you're actually in an interstitial space in some ways, right? You're actually um, a part of the fullness of the experience of the sculpture. And then that's kind of where my head was kind of leaning, right? Like, you know, how can we begin to, you know, begin to curate exhibitions where the spaces are actually built around the art and you know of course once i met cyril and his background is from architecture as well and you know his work deals with sort of that liminal space between physical and digital he's been making these renderings of these uh sort of surreal and unbuildable architectures. And while uh, in the physical world, he his, his body of work includes these sort of large scale, building scale, um, inflatable installations that make you question and look at your own body and, and the sense of scale and its kind of placement within a large urban context. And so when, when Cyril and I connected, we really bonded on, over the fact that we thought that, you know, there was so much potential in the metaverse that we were exploring. And ultimately, as we were designing it, um, we also realized that, you know, in the metaverse, you know, beyond its sort of offerings of, of infinite possibilities, we realized that in the metaverse, because architecture no longer needs to fulfill any sort of productive or at least less productive functionalities, right? Like, you know, insulating us from the climate outside or or having, you know, windows or, or wheelchair ramps and all these different things. Once we take all those things out, once we distill architecture down to its rawest form, we're left with just like the architectonics, the very basic elements of architecture. And then suddenly it feels like architecture is in its fullest fruition you know it's architecture the way tony smith makes his sculptures this idea that you know we are suddenly experiencing space 
for spaces performance um, abilities rather than its sort of practical abilities of allowing us to function in the physical world. And I think that's really exciting, right? Because and now um, architects and designers building into the metaverse are really going to be challenged um, from an artistic standpoint in some ways, um, how they build these spaces. And, and you know, the meeting place for us is, um, is an example uh, of what is possible and we hope that you know we've created something um, that's poetic enough in some ways uh, that it will inspire others to, uh, to do uh, the same with the same sort of uh, critical journey and and um, sort of uh, introspection and in, in terms of the process well hopefully and I think one thing that you mentioned that I think is really interesting is placing the same importance on the aesthetics and the beauty of a space and you know thinking about it outside of necessarily its functional um, form because we've all experienced over the last two years how much of an effect a space can have on our mental health and there's no reason that if we're going to be spending more time in these virtual spaces that surely it's not such a big leap to assume that ill-designed virtual spaces that haven't got the same care and attention and detail that they'll also have a detrimental effect on our mental health and well-being. So we should be placing just as much importance on getting these spaces designed correctly to actually enhance our mental health. I mean, people often have such a perception that using digital platforms is actually bad for your mental health. And I mean, maybe it is with some forms of social media, but that doesn't always need to be the case. And I think maybe, you know, this is a prime example of where actually we could be designing these platforms in order to actually benefit people's mental health. If we're going to be spending a lot of time in these spaces, ultimately, then we need to make sure that in the first instance, they're designed correctly and in the best way possible to actually benefit your mental health. And kind of we can maybe learn from the mistakes that, you know, were made in the past with social media and actually stop that right now and create something positive. Since we're placing such importance on the actual design of these spaces, what would be really interesting is to understand maybe more around how you chose Cyril and, you know, why it was you chose Cyril to work with on this. It's clear that you and him have been able to work together to create something pretty beautiful. And in reality, you know, I'm assuming in your position, you could have chosen quite a few artists to work with on this. So it'd be great to understand why it was you chose Cyril. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been kind of following Cyril's work on Instagram for a while. We've, you know, kind of like just DM'd, we've been friendly with each other. And it, it was almost immediate in some ways. You know, I was actually talking to a different artist previously, and, and it was more kind of fashion related. But that that was a whole different um, scale in some ways. And, and I still, I'm still interested in doing it, but I think it, it needs more time to develop and, and, and there's more thought process involved in that sense. But with Cyril, there are a couple of things, right? Like again, he was building these unbuildable spaces before. And so it was very logical in some ways. I was like, well, with the technology of, of VR, we can actually begin to unlock these spaces. You know, these, these unbuildable spaces are suddenly inhabitable. And so that was very clear. You know, Cyril also brings 
brings um, his incredible talent of you know understanding 3D software and modeling and and so that that was very you know integral in our ability to really be precise about what we were trying to create because you know Cyril was capable of modeling it himself. Of course, you know one of the learnings that we had was like you know there is this promise of oh, okay you know any 3D savvy person can suddenly become a metaverse architect, but there was a lot of work to it. It wasn't as simple as exporting a 3D model and then importing into a VR platform and then off you go. It, it, there, there was a lot of engineering challenges. There was a lot of lessons in learning how to be reserved. I think the word is, you know, to be reserved in the use of technology. I think it's very exciting and there's a lot of um, dreams and, and potentials um, with the metaverse and, and VR. But one thing we quickly learned is that even though we're excited about it and there's a lot of things that we want, the technology is not quite there yet. You know, we are like on the first Google website in some ways, right? But we're, we're, we're looking for something like Squarespace when we got the first Google right now. And so it was a lot of being under, understanding of, okay, well, you know, I would love to have clouds floating by you know, look real and give a sense of motion as if we're really floating in the virtual world. But the way in which clouds are currently rendered aren't aren't these like 3D volumetric clouds. They're they're actually very um, kind of a theatrical trick almost, right? It's a it's actually like a, a transparent image that's far away moving on um, animated to move in one direction. So if you actually get up close, you'll actually notice that it's not actually a 3D object or a 3D volume, rather it's a 2D surface moving at a distance. And and there's things like that where I was like, you know what, like I, I'd rather not have clouds if they're not going to be amazing. And so what we were able to do was, be, was to be able to be, you know, reserved in our use of technology and say, we're not going to do the, you know, the clouds today. But what we can do is use um, our attention and uh, to focus on other things like making the textures render better. And so really finding, um, you know, where are the boundaries of the technology, pushing it further, but also respecting, you know, the results, right? Respecting that if you do go too far, you begin to get a little overzealous, the experience experience of it actually gets hurt or diminished by our, our zealousness to use the technology. God, I never really knew so much went into just even the creation of a cloud. I mean, that's crazy listening to that. Like, I mean, such attention to detail, but it's lucky that you and Cyril are kind of on the same wavelength, I guess, when it comes to making those decisions and deciding what to keep in and, and what to exclude. Exactly. I mean, thank God Cyril and I are both, you know, very much so minimalists and so uh it lends to our aesthetic very well as well but uh, you know like imagine like i think for me it's like the exciting thing is it's you know it opens not only a world for architecture but for performance art or installation art right can you imagine a virtual reality james terrell sky space and what would that look like and you know imagine in 50 years we're going to have contemporary artists who's been around for decades working on these virtual 
art experiences. And I think for me personally, uh, coming from an artistic standpoint, that's where my head is going. You know, how do we begin to use the technology in all these different avenues, right? Can we, can we write a play that's in VR? Can we do music videos? Can we do live performances? Like, how do we begin to take this technology and really begin to have it infiltrate our, our everyday lives and find different use cases for it? Wow. I mean, it just seems absolutely crazy that, you know, in the not too distant future, we could be watching a play within virtual reality. That's pretty cool, I think. But you've probably touched on it a little bit already, so you might not have too much to add. But could you tell us a little bit more around how you see this project being different to all the other NFT projects out there? There seems to be so many going on at the moment. Sure. There's a lot of angles, right? I think it's like uh, one is privacy, the idea that you can utilize the technology without having to be aligned or um, under some sort of big text policies, right? This, you know, right now, if you want to be on social media, you have to either follow Facebook's rules on Instagram and Facebook, or you have to follow Twitter's policies. Um, You always have to be part of a larger ecosystem. But, you know, what the meeting place is suggesting in some ways is that this technology is different in that you don't have to be part of a larger platform in order to enjoy um, the 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 fruit of this, you know, of this technology. You can actually um, begin to build these, you know, someone uh, actually called it the other day, a micro metaverse experience right? Where it's insular, private, and that's sometimes all you need, right? Like if I was a private individual and I don't really want to be on another social platform and I'm not all that interested in going into this virtual plaza to talk to strangers, you could technically just buy a piece of private metaverse space in which you can host people and and just keep it at that and then you can just you know send your family oculuses for christmas and and have them all connect and like meet you in your private space that you've decorated with family photos and with you know with your nft collection it, it can it can just be that and um but beyond that obviously i think there's you know the the openness of the technology but ultimately i think it's about self expression I think in the final piece of it is it's about people beginning to really think about what their lives can be like in the future. The metaverse is happening. The internet is becoming dimensional. Like this is all coming at a bullet train speed. And so in four years, max, you know, this will be more and more a part of our everyday lives. And so it behooves us to really begin to think how does our personal identity begin to extend into that world, right? Right now, people, there's a whole new, um, I guess, like family of, of collectors happening, right? This, the digital art collectors are its own sort of wave of people joining into this movement of, of, you know, aligning towards their self-identity by by really thinking about the collection of works just the same way as, as you know, fine art collectors are thinking about their identities and their collections. I think that's a really nice way of looking at it in terms of having different families of collectors that are almost interested in this digital form of art and these NFTs as opposed to maybe more physical art. But for me, what you just said there that maybe resonated the most was the element around privacy, because I can only see that being kind of of more importance moving forward. 
Um, but look, Benny, I don't want to keep you for too long because I realize you've probably got a million and one things to be getting on with other than speaking about uh, the meeting place on temporary admission. But for those of our listeners that, you know, do want to find out a little bit more information or even want to visit you in the metaverse, how can they do that? If you're interested in checking out The Meeting Place, uh, you can find out more information at themeetingplace.io, uh, full words, T-H-E, meeting, M-E-E-T-I-N-G-P-L-A-C-E.io. And um, on there, you'll find our social, which will also lead you to ways in which you can access it. Again, you can go there right now. It's a live public space. I've met people from all over the world just kind of hopping in and saying hi um, through Spatial's website, spatial.io. Um, spelt with a T, right? Uh, through their app, which you can get on both Android and um, an Apple Store. And finally, the best way to get into there um, is by downloading the Spatial app and uh, finding us under the Explore tab on your VR headsets. Please join us. I'm actually always there. Uh, I always check, you know, like it's kind of funny. I, I spend a lot of time in the metaverse and uh, um, it's very new for me, but uh, it's always exciting to bump into strangers and um, it, the future really is here and I hope uh, I can meet you there in the metaverse. Awesome. Thanks, Benny. I'm sure we'll at least have a few temporary admission listeners that will be visiting you in the metaverse so that's pretty exciting and you know that should just about conclude us for the latest episode of temporary admission make sure to tune in next week where we will be revealing another exciting project until then stay safe speak soon Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.